Welcome to Doing the Most, the series where we talk about the misadventures of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Georgie, execution strategist and serial entrepreneur. This series is here to get real about what entrepreneurial life truly looks like. We are driven, persistent, hardworking, ambitious. We are human, and these are our stories. Thank you again so, so much for being here, Dwight. And yeah, to course. start off, I would like for you to introduce yourself. Tell, you know, I gave you like a brief introduction, but tell the audience a little bit more about who you are um, and like why you're here today. My name is Dwight Peters. Um, I'm a father to an almost two-year-old. Uh, I know, right, Parker? I hope you get to see this. So. <laughs> um, I'm an entrepreneur um, that had a few successes, a lot of loss. Um, but we keep pushing. Uh, my latest company now, which I'm really excited about, is called Open Phone Repair. Uh, we're the first black-owned 24-7 phone repair shop in Harlem, and that's something that we're super, super proud. And oh, thank you. And um, you know, we're going to go into details through this conversation about um, how I ended up here and uh, some of the bumps and you know tribulations that got me here. All right, so I want to start at the beginning. I want this to be a journey so that when folks could see, you know, how you really got here. Um, so tell us about, you know, back, let's start from high school, college days, when you first had those first ideas and businesses. What were they and what got you interested in being an entrepreneur? I never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. Um, back in college, I was a political science major. Um, I went to Bronx Community College, and it's funny because I tried... I tried college a couple of times. Um, I went to high school in Jamaica, but that's, I don't even want to go that far <laughs> back, right? Like, how, it kind of all fits. It fits, though. It fits, because I feel like in Jamaica, or subconsciously, so many people that are entrepreneurs, but we don't, it doesn't click yeah. as entrepreneurship. It's just, that's what you have to do to make money. That's what you have to do right. to have income. So maybe it was in your subconscious. I'm going to give you guys a complete, honest story, okay? Listen, growing up, I suffered from middle child syndrome. My mom had three kids, have three kids. I was the middle child. Um, my mom's from Jamaica. My father's from Trinidad. When I was 12, they surprised me. I came <laughs> home one day during the summer, and my suitcase were packed. And they said, hey, you're going to Jamaica tomorrow. So my mom sent me to Jamaica for high school. And um, you know that, that taught me a lot when I was 12. It showed me that the world was bigger than New York. It was bigger than America. Um, I was able to be around people that looked like me, my, my, my culture. And um, that kind of started this whole journey that I got on. Um, I graduated from high school there at 16. I came back. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, coming back at 16, I wasn't quite ready to go to college, right? Like, all my friends were still in high school. I'm from the Bronx. I chilled on the block, right? I hung out. I was like, all right, cool. I got out early. But at that time, being 16, being a black man in America, being black in New York, uh, something started to happen. I started to realize the climate that I was in. I'll never forget when I was 17, one of my friends, um, they were assaulted by the police. And I, this is something that I got to see up front during a summer night. We were, he just got assaulted by cops for a random incident. But the reason why I'm telling you this is because of how it led me to what I jumped into in college. Um, I decided to go to Bronx Community College. My aunt dragged me there. She was like, look, you got to do something. Initially, my first major was computer science because that's what my older brother was studying at the time. And um, I hated it. I flunked <laughs> out. I was working in retail. 
And one day I went to the Barnes & Noble that was open in Bay Plaza, and I came across this book that looked familiar to me. It was the autobiography of Malcolm X. I don't know if any of you guys read it. But while reading that book, Malcolm said something in the last chapter. He said his biggest regret is that he didn't get a chance to go to college because he felt that if he did, he would have been a great lawyer. And something struck a chord with me. I read that book in like three days, and I decided to go back to school, Bronx Community College, and I changed my major to political science. And um, complete turnaround. I was a failing kid, and I ended up becoming president of student government. I was that kid leading rallies and protesting. But I say that to say this, I never thought I would get into business. I thought that I would get into politics. I would get into serving the community. Like That was what I was really passionate about. I was passionate about speaking up for, for my community and how we integrate with America or how we're affected by America and all that, just being black in America. But um, somehow I started to realize while we were lobbying for jobs that there had to be another side. Instead of lobbying for jobs, how about we start to create jobs? So I was just about to go to City College, and at the last second, I switched, and I got into Baruch. And that's how I ended up going to Baruch College uh, to study entrepreneurship. Um, long story short, when I got to Baruch, I entered a business plan competition as soon as I got there. And I just so happened to win. So I won the business plan competition the first year, and I did what anybody else would have done. I dropped out. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm out of here. I don't really need a degree to start a business. But um, my, my path to entrepreneurship is a little bit of a mixture of everything. It's, um, it really comes down to freedom, and freedom on several scales. You know, freedom economically, but also freedom politically, right? Like not being tied an organization or anything, not, not having somebody else dictate my fate, not having somebody else dictate my future. So um, entrepreneurship is a little bit of freedom fighting for me in a weird way, but yeah. Awesome. So tell us a little bit, um, you had a company called Quarter Waters. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Let me hear a little bit about that. I wouldn't even call that a company. So um, it was a podcast where I would interview entrepreneurs. So before I got to Baruch, once I realized I was going to Baruch, I was like, man, how can I like speed up the process about learning about business? So I said, if I put a microphone in front of somebody, they're going to talk, right? People, they just love to talk about themselves, right? <laughs> so I said, hey, how about I start this podcast where I interview um, social entrepreneurs? And social entrepreneurship was very important to me because like I'm coming from political. And I'm like, all right, I, want, I don't want to be this capitalist. So I'm going to kind of like play it in the middle. I'm going to be like a social entrepreneur. And um you know, I started to interview these great people from all over the country, and they, they just opened up and shared so much knowledge like this, right, that it was kind of like being in a classroom but condensed, right? Like I'm gaining all the knowledge from people that have been through the fire quickly, and um, I ended up meeting a lot of great people. I called it Quarter Waters. I don't know if any of y'all from the hood. I grew up in the hood. Quarter Waters, right? So it was like a little smoke signal for, for you know, um, but that's why I called it Quarter Waters. Everybody's like, what is Quarter Waters? I was like, either you get it or you don't. But, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was something for my community to let them know if we educate ourselves, um, you know, maybe we could um, use these skill sets and entrepreneurship to our advantage. And what was the business plan that you won that competition with? And what did you do once you dropped out? Um, so that business plan competition was very interesting. I thought I had a cool idea. The judges thought I had a cool idea. <laughs> Um, the company was called Crowd Cases, and pretty much what we did was um, we were a tech accessory brand that partnered up with nonprofits. 
the way how it worked is every week we will hold an art contest where graphic designers from all the world will submit designs for the nonprofit of the week. So if we partnered up with like a clean water nonprofit, they would design a case for that. The winning artist would receive a little bit of money and then we would turn that print into a case and then sell it where a portion of all the proceeds would go to the nonprofit of the week. Um, and yeah, that was a cool, it was, it won the competition. Yeah, it won. Um, there was a lot of great other, there was a lot of great other, you know, pitches in that. But the thing that sticks out to me about that day though, I was super broke, like shit broke, I had no money in my pocket. And I was coming from my internship, I interned at ERA, shout out to ERA, um, they're an accelerator program here in New York. And, um, you know, I would sit all the time and listen to the other entrepreneurs pitch because that's all they did every day. It was an accelerated program for entrepreneurs. So these startups had to pitch over and over. And I would just sit and listen. I was like, okay, so this is how I pitch. This is how I do it. Okay. And then um, I went to Subway's for lunch and my card got declined. Couldn't even get lunch. And I had to go to the business plan competition later at night. And you know what I told myself? I told myself, yo, these other contestants don't want it as bad as I do. Like, I told myself that. I was like, yo, I'm going to win tonight. I didn't even know if the idea was really that good. It was cool. But I made sure, I told myself, like, I need this. I need this more than any of them. I have to win. And, um, yeah, I went there that night. I looked at all the other contestants and said, nah, you don't need this. Like, I don't even have money to get back home on the Metro <laughs> card. Like, I need this. And, yeah, I won. And then what happened after you won? So now you got this money. Do you want to share how much it was? I think it was like five grand. It was nothing crazy. I like, balling nah, on a budget. That money, was, <laughs> that money was done in like two weeks. Right? <laughs> um, but um, you know, it's funny when you have a business plan and then you walk outside into the real world, right? Like Mike Tyson said it, right? What he says, everybody has a plan until what? They get punched in the face, right? So um, the wisest thing that I did, though, was um, I took a risk, right? So I kind of told you guys how my mom packed me up and sent me to Jamaica when I was 12. So, you know, I was interviewing people for quarter waters, and I realized that a significant amount of them were in San Francisco. And um, I went to high school in Jamaica. I had two good friends, David and Daniel. They were always the computer geeks in high school, right? Like, we're in Jamaica, and they were like, <laughs> anytime you go to their house, they had, like, the latest computers. And I'm like, yo, dude, what are you guys? Okay, whatever, right? It just so happened that David and Daniel ended up in San Francisco after high school, after college, um, working some, for some nice tech companies out there. So I called David. I said, hey, yo, do you mind if I sleep on your couch until I figure this shit out? And um, he's like, yeah, bro, come through. So with the last bit of money from the five grand I won, I bought a one-way ticket, flew out to California, and um, I slept on my friend's couch until I figured out my next move. And like, yeah. what were the steps, you know, because we hear that story a lot, uh, oftentimes, you know, I slept on a couch and then I became rich. Okay, no. ha what happened? So what were, what was your, you know, thought processes? What were some of the activities that you were doing while you were in California? Um, like you said, you didn't really know anybody out there, but so what did you do? Um, a lot of sleeping because of depression, like, holy shit, what am I doing? Uh, but really... Um, I met up with a lot of entrepreneurs that I interviewed in person. So I started to build relationships, right? I started to build friendships. And I just started to absorb game from everybody, right? Like um, they saw how hungry I was. And when people see that, they, they open up. They, they share what they know. And, um, you know, the biggest thing that I learned was if you really want something, just by watching them, it's, 
it's take action. Like, how many of us, like, sit down with an idea and we try to, like, perfect it? Like, you know, it got to be like this. Or, now nah, we can't put that out yet. Or, I noticed a common trait was that they just took action. They just took a step. They just did they just something. Got shit they just got shit done. <laughs> they just put it out there. Um, and that's kind of like, um, yeah, that's kind of when things started to change. I tapped into a past experience. I kind of skipped this, but um, before I got to California, I worked at Apple for a little bit, uh, for about a year. And um, Apple just came out with the iPad. And I was working retail. People would come in. They would ask questions about the iPad. I'm selling it to them. But their biggest complaint was that the case didn't cover the back. This is when they only had a smart cover. So um, this kind of it ties into like how I had the, the business plan competition company that did the cases. I got into that because people come to the Apple store and always ask about um, these components. But long story short, I had a Kickstarter campaign in the midst of that. So by the time I got to California sleeping on my friend's couch, I was trying to figure out what I was, what I was gonna do and I looked back like, okay, what did I do successful? I had a Kickstarter campaign that was successful and um, people would hit me up just asking me for advice on Kickstarter. So while I was figuring out my move in Cali, it just occurred to me, why don't I take action and just help people with their Kickstarter campaigns? And that kind of led into the following company which was Backers Hub, okay. and that's what got me off of my friend's couch. Let me know if I'm like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're going along well, right? And right. so we're right now, we're talking about back... We're gonna we're about to talk about Backers Hub. This shit's confusing. And, Trust yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot, but... And that's the, that's the adventure as well as the misadventure. So now you have the idea. You started, you know, Backers Hub. What did that startup process look like? And what was like... When, what, when did it really click that Backers Hub was about to like take off and it was about to be crazy so backers hub is i i did something super different with backers hub like normally with a company right you you, you tend to you tend to do the cosmetic stuff first right like you you get the nice name and you, you build the website and you incorporate and right like you, you do all that cool stuff to make you feel like an entrepreneur um, for Backers Hub, I said, screw that. I'm not doing nothing until somebody pays me first, right? Yes. So what I did was um, <laughs> I went after a customer base. I, you know, I went on Kickstarter. I saw some campaigns. I was like, hey, Georgie, I saw that you just launched your campaign. It's awesome. Good luck. I just had a successful campaign. If you need help with your campaign, let me know. And then Georgie would hit me back and say, yeah, do I? You know what? I do need help with my campaign and marketing. And... I sent out the first email and like a few hours later, I just noticed my PayPal went off. I was like, oh shit, okay, somebody paid. This might be something. And then within that first week, I think I made like a grand. I was like, oh. And then within the first like two, three weeks, it's like, okay, we made like five grand. And then it just kept growing. And that's why I was like, okay, I might be onto something. And like at its height, like I don't know again, if mm -hmm. you want to share numbers, like at its height, what was like the, the revenue for back yourself? Nothing crazy. I'm not a millionaire. So <laughs> don't rob me. Um, yeah. Um, it's New York. I don't know. I know. That's why I had to like put that. Um, no. So at its height, it was doing like 20 grand a month. But, um, but it was cool, though, because low overhead, right? Like this is something off of my laptop. So pretty much what Backers Hub was, it's a newsletter list. I realized that from my campaign, 60 to 70% of my funding came from repeat backers, people that constantly back projects on Kickstarter. So with the initial batch of customers, what I tried to do was 
get them into Kickstarter's newsletter. Then I realized, okay, that's pretty hard because it's based on if Kickstarter wants to put them in a newsletter. So we did the next best thing. We said, why don't we just create our own newsletter? And that's what I did with Backers Hub. And I figured out how to grow the list. And um, we had over 70,000 subscribers. And pretty much what we did was feature campaigns in our newsletter. And it was, um, it was easy. It's probably like the easiest thing I've ever done. And uh, the, probably the most simplest idea, which is another thing too, right? We always think it's always have to be like the most complex, what makes us different. Nothing made us different. I pretty much stole what Kickstarter was doing and said, hey, I'm gonna just build my own. And uh, yeah, so at our height, we were doing like 20 grand a month, low overhead, and um, it was cool. It changed my life. It, it showed me something different. Yeah, and when I, um initially met Dwight, he was working at Backers Hub and he came and did a talk at um, Baruch, right? We had like, I was also part of the Entrepreneur Accelerator, I think yeah. two cohorts after you. Yeah. And when they were talking about this Backers Hub, me being me, I went home, started Googling Backers Hub, trying to find information. I'm just like, this guy just talked about, oh, he's making like 20,000, there's no website. You could, it looked, it looked <laughs> like shit. It looked like shit. And I'm yeah. just like, what, how? This is not possible, but like, he, he showed, you know, he talked about how, you know, the simplest ideas. And so from those early days, it started to instill in me the fact that the same thing that he learned in Silicon Valley, I took that advice from him when he brought it back here, is the, you could just put something out there. It doesn't have to look perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. As long as it works and people are paying for it, boom, you have one of a better business than most people out there. A lot of companies out there that are making literally millions of dollars a year don't even have a social media account. They don't. They don't even have a website. They, their website looks like it's literally out of 1996. Right, and right. they get repeat customers. They have, um, you know, you know, big budgets, big offices. They have all the things. But And then you see, like, this other person that looks all cool, has the fancy watch, fancy houses, and their business is, like, doing negative, right? Shout out to Google, right? <laughs> Look at Google's website. I think that's why Google's, like, around. Right? There's so one thing on the page. Simplistic. It's simple, right? That's a plug for Google. Right. <laughs> Girl with yeah. Google. All right. And so now I want to talk about, you know, we were talking about it one-on-one, um, -on -one, but what happened after Backers Hub, right? You hand to this gold mine a few, you know, months before, like you said, didn't even have money for lunch or the subway, but now, yeah. you know, money's coming in consistently. You know, you move back, talk about, you know, moving back to New York and why yeah. you did that. And then what happened Why you left Backers Hub? Um, so yeah, you know, things, well, yeah, things started to grow quickly and, um, well, I left because I couldn't sleep on my friend's couch anymore, right? <laughs> like it was, time was up, but I moved back to New York and, um, yeah, it was, it, I was just hungry. I was just constantly going for it. Cause I, I lived in this weird, it was a weird relationship. Like I was almost fearful, like, okay, is this going to end today? Like, is somebody going to pull the rug from underneath me? Like, is this too good to be true? And I noticed I was just constantly working, constantly hustling. Like, I would even have mood swings, like weird mood swings. Like, if we didn't make a sale that day, it was like, oh, man, what's wrong? Oh, man, we didn't, it's over. Like, so my cousin, I brought my cousin on. He was my partner in this. And, um, you know, I, I was always in a constant sense of fear. Like, did I create something that was too good to be true? But we, we pushed through, and, um, you know, we continued to grow. And... Um, Probably about year three is when um, when the biggest lesson came to me. Competition is real. And unfortunately, people will steal your ideas. And um, 
you know, you have to learn not only to play offense, but how do you play defense? And at that time, I didn't really know how to play defense. And I just noticed our market share go uh, smaller and smaller. And, you know, people came out with similar names and doing the same thing. We started at Backer Summit. There's a Backer Club, Backer Nation, Backer This, Backer That, Backer That, Backer That, Backer That, Backer That. And, um, you know, um, I don't know, that was tough. But um, I kind of had the foresight that, okay, things were switching. So I, I did what I always do. I decided, hey, let's switch the script. So um, while living here in New York, I decided to leave the country for a while. I went to the Dominican Republic on vacation at some point, and I loved it. It kind of reminded me of my childhood when I grew up in Jamaica for high school. So I said, hey, let's, you know, let's cut overhead. I was paying an arm and a leg for rent here in New York, New Jersey. So um, my cousin and I, we packed up and we went to DR for a few years. Um, just trying to figure out what the next move was while we continue to work on backers. Huh? All right, and then what happened? Like, what, what was the decision that, other than cutting, was there anything other than cutting overhead that said, you know, I'm gonna stay here in DR versus just being on vacation and coming back to New York? Um, yeah, the climate of the country. Seriously. Like climate as in like it's hot or no. <laughs> political climate? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, like like the political climate. So I got to let you guys know I'm black unapologetically, right? And being a black man in America, um, like I said, my background's political science, right? Like that's really what's at my core of this. And, you know, like seeing all the, the, the senseless killings with the police and everything that was just going on in the news when I went to DR. And, yeah, everywhere has their problems. But for it was weird for the first time leaving the country. And you could call it because we're American and we had an American passport that they treated us different. But it was the first time I left the country and I didn't feel I didn't. Can I say this? Yes, I mean, we could edit it. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> I don't want it to be bad, but she's asking a real question. I'm going to give you guys Yeah, but this truth. is real, real stuff. It was the first time I left. It was the first time in my adult life that I didn't feel like a nigger, if that makes any sense. When I left the country, I felt like a man. And that's what made me stay in DR for so long. It was weird. We ride Pasolas out there, these, like, motorcycles. They're not motorcycles. They're, like, a level down. And um, nobody wear helmets in DR, right? There's like four people on a motorcycle, right? It's crazy. <laughs> it's like the Wild West, right? And I'm riding, and the police officer pulls me over. And, you know, being here in America, I'm, we're kind of subconsciously trained on how to deal with the police. So I get off the bike, and my hand's in the air. And the, the officer, he's like, yo, like, you're speaking in Spanish, but pretty much what he's saying is like, nah, nah, you good, bro, chill. I just want you to wear your helmet so that you be safe. I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, you're not writing me a ticket. Like, he was sincere. And um, that kind of caught me off guard. And, um, you know, that was, that was the first time I felt like, oh, I'm not in America. This is different. And, um, yeah, I ended up staying there for, for three and a half, four years because of, because of that encounter. Yeah, so um, to be completely honest, that's what, that's what kind of extended my stay out of the country. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm going to actually dive a little bit more into this topic of, you know, mindset and like the emotional and mental factors that go into being an entrepreneur. And I know you shared it a little bit on social, so I want to talk a bit about that experience, right? You know, you said that your emotions, when the company was making money, you were feeling good, you were yeah. feeling nice. When the company wasn't making money... Like, Don't ah, talk to me today. So wrong? when did you catch on to, to this trend? Because I, I know that I've experienced that before, but yeah. it wasn't until like 
you know, hindsight, looking back, I'm like, oh, snap, like, yeah. that happened. So, like, what, was there, like, an incident that led you to, allowed you to realize that this was happening? And what did you do once you started to see that this was happening? It was making that switch, right? Like, I realized that I had this whole scarcity mindset, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, it's going to run out. And then I, I had to realize that, like, it happened. I think it started to, like, show when I was in DR and I was able to get away from the noise and, like, our overhead was significantly low. So it was okay if we can make a few sales in a, a day or two or three. It was okay. Like, all right, we're, we're good. And then I realized, wait, you know, I have to switch my mindset to an abundance mindset. I know you guys probably heard that crap before, right? It sounds like magic talk, but it's real, right? Like, you project certain things out into the universe, certain energy. And, um, yo, the truth of the matter is this, this, this shit's a roller coaster, right? Like, and that's for every company. Like, there's no company going to the moon, right? Even if it looks like that, there's still, still, a, still a bumpy ride, right? And, um, you know, I also, I kind of also attribute that just to my inexperience as an entrepreneur, right? Like, I'm just going through it for the first couple of times. But, um, as I get older, as I get a little bit more seasoned, I kind of know how to navigate a little bit better. Yeah. Awesome. And during during that time, you know, you also launched a couple of other ideas. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that. Um, and also, actually, before that, let's talk about, you know, your daughter. Because I know you said that your daughter had a huge impact on not only your entrepreneurial ventures, but just how you thought of being a business owner and how you, you know, managed your time. So can we yeah. talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, my daughter, Parker Marie. Uh, so I came back a couple of years ago to visit family, and um, I ran into my ex-girlfriend. And, <laughs> you know, we missed each other. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So right before I was going back to uh, DR, a few weeks before I was supposed to fly back down, um, yeah, she had some wonderful news to share with me. And she told me that, you know, we're pregnant. I was like, okay, <laughs> let's figure this out. So, um, you know, in my crazy sense, I wanted them to move the DR with me, right? I know a lot of ladies probably wouldn't go for uh-huh. that. Like, I'm not leaving the country, right? And I know in hindsight, I was probably like a little crazy. But, um, you know, it hit me that we created this life. And, um, yeah, that, this is a completely different adventure. So, um I ended up moving back from DR back to New York and, you know, we have this beautiful little girl and I, I wanted to show her, I wanted to show her something, I wanted to show her how to build something and, um, you know, that's why I'm super excited about this new venture because she really inspired it. Um, you know, I put it on social media, like there was, I, 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 I kind of, I've never been diagnosed with this, and I don't think a lot of us have been, but I dealt with depression before Parker came. Like, you know, it, it was a weird stage where, like, I got off social media, I disappeared. When I came in, what did you I was say? Like, right? yo, where you was at, man? Right? Like, <laughs> you know, it, it was hard to get out of bed sometimes, right? Because um, you have this idea of where you're supposed to be, and if you're not there, yeah. you know. Everything else don't make sense. Nothing else matters, right? So, um, but, um, Parker definitely re-sparked something inside of me. And, um, you know, just that unconditional love. But, um, yeah, so she, she's a big component of, of why I got my spark back, you know, why I'm so excited about this chapter. And, um, yeah, she, she, she's, yeah, 
Yeah, kids can do that to you. Yeah. Um, and so before we get to open, right, um, mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about two companies that you launched in between um, Backers Hub and Open. So yeah. you launched um, Birthday Cake, I think, or Birthday, birthday Jar. Birthday Jar yeah. and Lux Bundles. Yeah. You know, I don't think you're going to spend too much time no. on Birthday Cake, uh, Birthday, birthday Jar. jar yeah. But, you know, tell us a little bit about what inspired right. those ideas. And <laughs> So quick little thing, just like a personal exercise for me, I always try to, like, create new companies at least, like, three or four times a month in my head, right? And I always just throw them out there. If they click, they click. If they don't, they don't. Um, birthday jar was pretty cool. Like you put some cake in a jar and you send it out to people on their birthday, right? Like wherever they are at in the country, if you have friends, right? You just, yeah, right? So I partnered up with um, a neighbor of mine. She, she makes great cakes. Shout out to Monique. I was like, hey, we should do this. We should just put some cakes in a jar and send it out but on people's birthday. And I kind of got the idea from this show that was, I mean, this contestant that was on Shark Tank. Um, no, something else. But there was this company on Shark Tank that I saw that they did cake in a jar. But I was like, how do we niche it down just to birthdays? And like, we could tie this into like Facebook's, you know, algorithm because they have everybody's birthday and then like we could get people to da da Eh, it didn't really work out, but it's still a dope idea. So if anybody does it, definitely give me a cut. But um, <laughs> yeah, not a shout out. Yeah, you better no, send me my money. I need equity. But that was just me like constantly sharpening my sword, right? Like constantly, like you know, trying to stay creative, right? Like whatever idea can I come up? Lux bundle, same thing. I was watching this documentary called um, Good Hair yeah. with Chris Rock. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's, a, there's a scene in there where um, Chris Rock goes to this big hair conference in Atlanta. I forgot the name of it. Yes, that's right. And he's talking to one of the vendors. And he's like, yo, does this really sell? And the vendor's like, yeah, what are weaves? They're like, you know, 5,000% up. I'm like, he says something stupid. I'm like, wait, the markup on hair is that much? And like in, within our community, you hear women talk about how much they drop on their hair. I'm like, no, this is stupid. This, <laughs> like, this can't be real. So, um, and yo, if, if anybody takes this idea too, I just want to cut. I don't care. <laughs> I went to Costco one day with my mom. I'm like, yo, Costco has a very interesting business model, right? Like you pay a membership, but they sell you the products near cost price, right? I was like, yo, our culture is being exploited when it comes to the hair business, right? Like they're paying these high markups for hair that really don't cost that much. I started to get the vendor list and see like, okay, how much does the hair really cost? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to start this company called Lux Bundles. And the way how it works is this. You pay a yearly membership fee and we will sell you the hair at the actual cost of the hair, right? We'll make money off the membership, but you get to save significant amount of money instead of spending... 150 200 on a bundle you pay the actual cost it costs like 20 30 bucks right um so yeah that that was a cool idea it started to get some traction but then i kind of felt weird about it because like i'm not a i'm not a lady like what do i know i know it's stupid reason right but if anybody wants to partner up we could definitely talk about that but that was just another episode of me like you know sharpening my sword like just trying to stay creative looking at the looking at the world and see, is there any solution I could create? Yeah. All right, and now we are at Open. So this journey has been about 10 years. Now we're at yeah. Open. Uh, actually, more than 10, because, you know, we started in high school. So mm -hmm. now you're at Open Foam Repair. What incited that idea? And you said, you know, 
um, your daughter was a big part of like coming yeah. up with that. So talk a little bit to us about open phone repair. Well, Parker played the role in the sense that I wanted her to see me build something physical. Like I knew with this go around, like, you know, everybody's trying to do the digital thing. Everybody's trying to do the e-commerce thing. And that's great. Like I had my run at that. But then I started to look at the world and I was like, okay, what's kind of like recession proof? <laughs> like what? you know, if all hell goes loose tomorrow, like what's going to be there? And I started to look at like real physical need businesses, right? I was even thinking about opening up some barbershops or some restaurants, right? Like people want to eat or like something physical. Uh, doing back yourself for so long, I didn't get to connect with people. Like everything was transactional. Everything was via email, right? That's how I got to live on the island far from everybody else, right? And I missed people. Like, I realized, like, being away from people wasn't really too healthy. I was on too long of a vacation. So um, um, earlier in the year, my phone cracked. I took it to the kiosk, the guys at the kiosk, and I gave them my $100, and they gave me back my phone. I was like, okay, cool. And then, um, you know, my cousin came over, and, you know, we were going back and forth about, like, yo, what should we do? What should we do? What's the next thing? And, um you know, he uh, he works for one of the largest uh, phone repair shops in a certain country. I can't give away too much information. <laughs> but he was like, yo, man, you should look into this. I think you could actually do it. And I was like, yeah, I did work at Apple. I, I know a couple of things. Let me actually look into the market. But what really got to me was like the lack of representation, right? Like that's what was the driving factor. When I realized, wait, there's not too many like black owned I never went to a kiosk and saw like a black-owned phone repair kiosk in any mall, right? Like I haven't seen it yet. I'm like, or any black-owned, you know, cell phone accessory store that's actually like big, that's like doing it, right? Like not the mom and pop style, but like something that's like big. I'm like, why is that? And I don't know. The the challenge seemed exciting, so we like, yeah, let's let's give it a shot. And, um, and that's what I did. I opened up Open in the heart of Harlem. And we're doing it. Yeah. Yes, and I love how you keep going back to your roots, right? Social impact, yeah. um, you know, doing it for the culture, definitely the political aspect of it and being conscious in the decisions that you make, whether it's an online business or a physical business. And so, you know, how long has Open been around and kind of what are some of the activities you guys are doing and like what's your hope for open in like the next six months to a year yeah so open has been open <laughs> for um about seven months right so we're fresh we're new but here's the truth of the matter like things didn't start to click until like a month ago right like it's like six months of what the fuck am i doing <laughs> oh shit like is this the right move until finally it's just now a few weeks ago that things started to click We've been getting a big push on social media. Like, I'm looking at my Instagram. This might not sound like a lot to you guys, but, like, yo, like, four weeks ago, I had, like, 200 followers on Instagram. Now we're close to 2,000. Like, there's been a big push where people are, like, picking up the story. Like, hey, there's this black-owned phone repair shop in Harlem. And I've been seeing, like, the support from the community and, you know, how, um, how people are saying, like, yeah, that makes sense. We should participate in these things. And, um... The goal is to, you know, we're in Harlem now. Hopefully within six months, we can open up two more units throughout the city and um, see how far we could take this throughout the country and the world. Um, we have some great technicians. 
we love these devices and there's an actual need for it right and um you know we, we there's nothing proprietary about what we're doing like we're fixing devices but we kill with customer service right like the experience that we give is is phenomenal it's something that i'm truly proud of because um we care and yeah we're, we're just trying to open up as many opens as possible open up as many opens all right so we're coming to the end of the conversation um, and then we're going to open it up for some audience questions so what i want to ask you know we talked a lot about the different adventures and some misadventures that you've had throughout this journey yeah. um but is there one specific entrepreneurial misadventure that you know you haven't talked about that you think the audience should definitely hear about and you know what was the misadventure and kind of how you got over it and made that better decision um to keep it pushing um i'll tell you guys this the shit's hard for like the people that don't know if they want to become entrepreneurs yet like are thinking about it like the shit's hard like the easiest thing that you could do is get a good paying job like that's the sanest thing that you can do like nothing's wrong with that but if there's something inside of you, like, I'm unemployable. Like, I, I really am. Like, I, like I, I can't. Like, I sit down and think about it. I'm like, man, you know, I should just get a job. And I'm like, ugh, I can't. This shit's hard. But I start to realize, like, you know, I have those moments where I feel low. And hopefully you guys could take this. If you guys ever feel low when you're trying to build something, the quickest way to get out of that is to take action and keep working on this shit. Like, distract yourself, right? Like, don't get consumed in that, ah, like, in that phase where you just want to fall back. Like, just keep taking action. Even, you know, I'm going through it now. Like, there's times last week I'm like, oh, man, what the fuck is going on? Where I'm like, nah, create content. Like, don't even think about it, right? And then you just notice, like, how it starts, like, plant seeds for other things that come on. So I... I don't even know if that was the question, but to answer that is my misadventure or the thing that I learned is anytime you feel low, work even more. Like, put more work in. That's it. That's the only thing that you can do when you're low, right? Just put more work in. Fuck it. You already feel away. Put more work in. And, um, yeah, let it pay for itself. I hope that makes sense to you guys. Let it pay for itself. You know, and, you know, we've been in contact a bunch of times throughout your journey, and, um, you know, you've given me advice, I've given, you, given yeah. you advice, and it's so interesting to kind of hear that background story. A lot of people might see, you know, like, oh, the white fell off the earth. And it's funny, when yeah. you told, when I asked him to be a guest on the show, he was just like, oh, this is one of my first speaking engagements since, and he thought about it, he's like, since I spoke for you three years, it was like, what, three, four years yeah. ago? Yeah. And so we had an event called The Power of Broke, where he shared yeah. the first part of the story um inside of like wow. using being broke as like yeah. a catalyst to all right i don't have any money okay what can to be creative i don't have any money what can i do take act um take advantage of tools like grow with google completely free take advantage yeah. of meetup events completely free take it you know some most are free but taking advantage of what's free out there that could then be flipped into something that's gonna make sure. you more money and then whether it's make, meeting more people maximizing resources yeah. um so you know what's next for you know you talked about what's next for like open but what's next for you personally now you're a dad you know you've grown a lot whether it's you know personally mentally and so like where do you see yourself in the next um year 
being the best father I could be, like, um, that's super important to me, right? Like, to have this little black girl that, um, you know, looks up to me, um, that's probably more important than anything. So, you know, just, just being a great father. And also, you know, I'm, I'm trying to show Parker, like, we live in a, a great time, right? Like, everything's documented, right? And um, God forbid, like, I don't plan on dying anytime soon, right? But I document everything online, yeah, for my friends to see and for the world to see, but I'm, like, kind of, like, leaving a blueprint for my daughter. Like, I want Parker to see this, you know? So when she's 20 and her mom's saying, go to college, you know, she, you know, she could say, daddy did it like this, and, you know, I could do it too. So, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I, I want to inspire the world, but I, I really just want to inspire my daughter and um, let the chips fall wherever they fall. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, you crying over there. Oh, please. <laughs> Thank you it. so, so much, Dwight, for taking out the time and, you know, sharing your story because yeah. as doers, we oftentimes kind of just keep doing, right? Yeah. We just keep going, 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 and we don't take a moment or two to say, you know, this is what I'm doing. Wow. Um, I'm not fully where I personally want to be, but I've come a long way, and right. here's, here's what it is, yeah. right? And we wait until, you know, people become almost icons and they're unreachable to then try to have conversations with them and then when you have to pay an arm and a leg, people are like, oh, why? I'm like, well, you didn't pay attention to them when they were, you know, a quarter of the way there, halfway there. So now that they're at the top, to come back down, it's going to cost you. It's going to, yeah. so you have Dwight at your disposal. He's been, you know, all over and in different industries and keeps, keeps going and keeps hustling and making sure that now, you know, creating like stability through that hustle. And it's not even, and, and I know we were talking about this at one point, it was, it's not even about hustling anymore. It's no. more so like building something yeah. stable and, not just, oh, I'm just going to do all the things, and especially, like, being a parent. Yeah. Um, do you want to comment on that? They're just like, you can't just be everywhere. You have yeah. to. Yeah, you have to be stable, right? <laughs> like, you have to be stable with this, man. And, um, you know, I don't take it for granted. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Doing the Most. Catch us here next week, same time, same place. If you can't wait, head on over to doingthemost.xyz to stay connected. Until next time, keep on doing.